Amen. Good morning. Thank you. Well, I wasn't expecting that. Thank you. Thank you, Les. Hey, uh, if you're our guest this morning, uh, we are so glad that you're here. Welcome to Centennial Church. I know that sometimes uh, visiting a church, finding a church home can be a beat down, can be difficult. And uh, I would love to help you in that process if you would want to reach out to me after service or contact me. I'd love to be able to help you in that process if this is the right place for you or answer your questions or whatever. But uh, welcome to Centennial Church. So glad that all of you are here this morning. We also need to welcome another member to our church family, and that is little William Asher Seebeck was born on Wednesday. Lucas and Laura are doing well. If you were here last week, you know we dedicated about five little ones, and then on Wednesday, we had another one add to our extended church family. So he uh, weighed in at seven pounds and 10 ounces, 21 inches long, and uh, they are doing well. Lucas and Laura are not in a uh, community group here. If you are interested in taking a meal to them or taking some diapers to them or whatever, let me know, and I can get you in touch with them on how to make that happen. Um, Life is um, joyous, and life is also sometimes tough. And the very week that Lucas uh, had his first child, he also found out that his grandpa had suddenly, um, not uh, total surprise, but uh, in an unexpected way, passed away as well. So Lucas, uh, the joy and the grief at the same time. So uh, please be praying for Lucas and Laura. And uh, also, uh, in terms of family, we do, if you're our guest here this morning, we do, I want Centennial Church not just to be a place that people attend church, but I want us to be an extended family uh, as we welcome new little ones into our family and as we become a a tighter family together as we gather and particularly as we gather in community groups and men's Bible studies and ladies Bible studies and things like that. Uh, In terms of family, I want to just bring you up to date this morning, those of you that are part of the Centennial family, just in terms of our giving year to date, uh, we've been about $5,000 behind budget. Uh, nearly every month. Uh, so we have some, some ways to make things up. We would love uh, to see that increase. And one of the things as a family, we, one of our values is that we just want to treat our church family as adults and uh, keep you posted uh, at least twice a month on how things are going. So uh, I want you to know that we've been behind about $5,000 per month, and we need to make that up. We have some improvements that uh, you voted for that in our budget that you approved back at the beginning of the year. We want to do some improvements in here uh, this coming summer, but we need to catch up a little bit and uh, stay healthy. So I just want to remind you of that. Perhaps you've uh, forgotten. Perhaps uh, you've... uh, let that slide a little bit. I just want to make you aware of that. We need your participation. This is the budget that you voted for, that you approved, and we ask you, uh, since you voted for it and approved it, to please participate in that if you're not and to be uh, generous. Today, we're having a golf tournament to support our mission friends in Haiti, and next week, we're having an after-church party to send some kids to camp. We would love to be generous and to help our missions partners. We also need to further the ministry here, so I just wanted to make you aware of that as you're generous 
uh, to Haiti as you're generous to sending our kids to camp. Please uh, remember to continue to be generous to the church family here and the mission that we're about. Speaking of that, we've employed a new giving platform. So if you haven't been to our website or onto our Centennial Church app, if you go to the giving link there, you'll notice that there's a new platform for giving. It's super easy. It's super simple. If you prefer to give that way, we also have baskets as well. But uh, sometimes for some of us, that helps us to be more regular and consistent in our giving. So you can find that on our CC app or on our website, okay? So uh, let me, before we open God's word, let me pray uh, and let me pray for the CBEX and pray for you, pray for our church family and uh, ask God's uh, provision and his uh, blessing on our time here this morning, okay? Bow with me. Father God, I thank you uh, so much for our dear Centennial family here and I thank you for the love that I see exhibited each week and the family that you are growing us into and the way uh, you are moving us to impact our community and, and beyond. And I thank you for this golf tournament today and uh, the opportunity to send kids to camp next uh, at this event next week. Lord, we thank you for uh, little William and the joy that he brings to Lucas and Laura. And also, Lord, we pray for Lucas as he grieves uh, the loss of his grandfather. Uh, Lord, thank you for these little ones and entrusting them to us. We uh, are just so thankful and we pray your protection on them. Uh, what a challenging and difficult world it is to grow up in. So we pray for each of our little ones. Lord, uh, you have been so generous to us. You have been so good to us. We thank you for that. And we pray that uh, out of the generosity that you have shown us, we would uh, be a blessing to others, that we would be generous uh, to the things of the kingdom. Lord, please convict us where we need conviction on that. Holy Spirit, use your word this morning to challenge us, to encourage us, to uh, conform us into the image of Jesus. That's in his beautiful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Turn with me to Philippians again. We continue a lengthy study here of Paul's letter to the church of Philippi. As a uh, preacher, it's somewhat uh, not surprising. It's somewhat, somewhat regular to have people come up to you after a message and say, uh, your message today was right where I needed it. Hit me right between the eyes. Uh, spoke to my heart. It was exactly what I needed that uh, is always encouraging to hear. And as a, as a preacher, uh, as you go through the week and you're preparing a message, you're trying to understand it, you're trying to apply it to yourself uh, first so that you can then apply it to other folks. And I say that this morning because uh, in my study this week and as I contemplated this passage this morning, I feel uh, more than most weeks that God had brought this passage this week, first of all, for me. Secondly, for you, but especially for me and the things that I've been dealing with in the state of my spiritual walk uh, the last few months, this, God, I felt, man, this one is for me. I'm convinced of that, but I'm also convinced because I talk to you and because I know what's going on in many of your lives and the trials that you face this morning uh, for some of you that I know that this message is for you too. It's been a tough couple months. And I think, uh, quite honestly, metaphorically, Paul here is going to give us a kick in the pants that we need. So here we go. 
Uh, If you remember, Paul's letter to the church of Philippi is really a very encouraging letter. This is one of the most encouraging letters that Paul writes. There's not just this huge problems uh, in Philippi that we saw, at least compared to the church in Corinth and the church churches in Galatia, but uh, it's a it has a very encouraging tone. He has a deep love for these folks. It's a church that he founded. He writes, I've mentioned before in uh, verse 1, chapter 8, of how affectionate he is towards them. He says in verse 8, God is my witness how I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And really one of the main themes of uh, the Philippian letter is for them to grow in their walk with Christ, to become more Christ-like, to become more mature in their faith. That's his prayer for them that we looked at several weeks ago, verses 9 through 11 of the first chapter. Look at again at the prayer. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. He says, I want you to be growing in discernment. I want your love to be growing in knowledge and discernment that you might live fruitfully, that the righteousness that's been given to you as a gift will bear fruit in your lives, that you'll be effective in your walk and in your witness to others. He talks to them in chapter 1, verse 27. Look with me there. He says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel so that whether I come to you and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. What is he instructing them about? He's saying, hang in there. Walk worthy of the gospel that you've been given. Live in accordance to the truth. Live in accordance of the grace that you've been given. Mature. Stand firm in the faith. Don't be moved around by the pagan Roman culture around you, but strive for the faith and stay strong. Be encouraged. Grow. Become like Christ. Become mature. And I think that's primarily his point This morning, as we look at just two verses, verses 12 and 13 of chapter 2, read along with me. I've entitled uh, today's sermon, Work Out. Work Out. Verses 2, or excuse me, verses 12 and 13 of chapter 2. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I'm going to read that again, okay? It's short, just two verses today. Read it with me again. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. What's going on here? What does he want from us? I see this passage kind of in two different angles. The first angle being that there is a theological conundrum here. A theological conundrum and then secondly, a personal challenge, okay? That's kind of the way the passage breaks down. A theological conundrum and a personal challenge. So first of all, the theological conundrum. What what does he say to them here? If you look at it, it says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. 
And if you take that, if you're reading this just by itself, you're thinking, wow, what Paul, it seems to be saying that Paul is asking us to work for our salvation. He's saying, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And that causes a theological conundrum because most of the time you hear Paul say, and hopefully you hear from the pulpit here, that salvation is not about our works, but it's about God's gift to us. It's God's grace or we define grace sometimes as unmerited favor. So is Paul confused here? Is he contradicting himself? He's saying, work out your salvation. Why does he say that? Because if we go back to chapter 1 of Philippians, we spent a whole week just on Philippians 1.6. Look back with me there. What does verse 6 says? say? It says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Well, right there in verse 6, it seems to say differently than chapter 2, verse 12. It says that God, who began the good work, he started it, and he will complete it. That seems to be the hope of Philippians 1, 6. But when we get to chapter 2, verse 12, he says, work out your salvation. And there seems to be responsibility on us. There's other places where Paul, the same author, seems to be more clear about this. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. I quote this one often. Some of you know this. Ephesians 2, 8, uh, 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. And he's even more clear in verse 9. He says, not as a result of works. You're saved by grace through faith. Notice the prepositions. By faith. By grace through faith, and then to clarify it in verse 9, he says, not as a result of works, so that your salvation results in God boasting, not in human boasting, right? Now, works come as a result of salvation. Verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So I said before, Our salvation is not the result of works, but our salvation results in good works, right? But here in Ephesians, he says clearly, it is not by works, it is by grace through faith. Another clear one to also emphasize again, Romans 4, 5, great one. Romans 4, 5 says this, and to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, His faith is counted as righteousness. To him who does not work, you can't bring God your good works and say, now count me righteous. Now let me have a relationship with you. Now let me into the kingdom. It's not by work, but it's by faith, by the one who believes in him who justifies who? Not the godly, but he justifies the ungodly. It's that person's faith who believes His faith is credited as, counted as righteousness. So what's the deal here? All those verses seem to say that salvation is all of grace, but here in verse 12, he says, work out your salvation. What is going on here? Well, let me back up a second and talk about the term salvation and clarify, bring some uh, meaning to this for us and help clarify perhaps some confusion. When we talk biblically about salvation in in, uh, the New Testament, we're really talking about three aspects of salvation. Salvation is a a broad term that incorporates three aspects 
of that salvation. So we have a slide of this. One aspect of this salvation is justification. Justification is when God, when the moment that we believe in Christ, he declares us righteous. Okay, now it doesn't say that we are righteous, but it says that he gives us a verdict of not guilty. He declares us righteous, not on our own merits, but on the righteousness of Jesus. And justification gives us freedom from sin's penalty. So the moment you believe, the moment you trust Christ, you're forgiven, you become a child of God, and all your sins, past, present, and future, are paid for. And you are free of the penalty of sin. You will not face God in judgment. You will not go to hell because of justification. And that, notice, notice the punctuation here on these three terms. There's the period, the ellipsis, and the exclamation point. Moving on to sanctification. Sanctification, different, distinguished from justification, is God making us holy. He's, he's helping us to grow up into maturity, into Christ-likeness. You're, how many times were you born? You were born once, physically and spiritually. That's justification. But your growth as a person and as a child of God is an ongoing process. And that is called sanctification. So we have been saved, and through sanctification, we are growing, we are becoming more like Christ, and sanctification is the freedom that we have from sin's power. Now that we've been justified by God, the Holy Spirit lives in us, we have a new spiritual power to defeat the addictions, the hurts, the hang-ups that are in all of our lives. We can overcome sin by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. That's freedom from sin's power. Freedom from sin's penalty, freedom from sin's power. And then thirdly, the last aspect of salvation is what we call glorification. And guess what? You are not yet glorified. I am not yet glorified. My My heart is not perfectly pure yet. Is yours? It's not. Glorification is the exclamation point. It's the culmination. It's the completion of salvation that comes when Jesus returns, but not until then. Your salvation will be finally, fully completed when Jesus returns again. And that's exactly what Philippians 1.6 has told us just a few minutes ago. Back to Philippians 1.6. What does he say? He who began a good work in you will be faithful to bring it to completion when? At the day of Christ Jesus. But not until then. So until Jesus returns, we have been saved by grace, through faith, but our process of growing up as a child of God is as a child of God is an ongoing process. But eventually that salvation will be completed, and what will happen to sin? Sin will be, no longer be in our hearts. Sin will no longer be present among us. We will be in a perfect kingdom, a perfect heaven of no sin, of no brokenness, of no disaster of no sickness, of no cancer, of no relational strife. We will be in a perfect kingdom, at one with God and at one with others. So that said, that background, bringing that to Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, what is he getting at here? I think we can summarize it like this. He is, he is not saying that we work for salvation, He's talking about sanctification. 
He's talking about growing, work out your salvation. We don't work for salvation, but we do work it out. We work it out into our lives. We participate. We don't earn it, but we do put in effort in our growth. One author has said this, grace is not opposed to effort, but earning. God's grace is not opposed to effort, but our earning. To grow in Christ, to follow Christ takes effort. In fact, you think about the great commandment. Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, the greatest commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. That takes effort. He's saying all of you is to, is to love God. That takes effort. Grace is not opposed to effort, but opposed to earning. One other place, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 5. Look at this one with me. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 5. Look at the promise we have here. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. That's a mouthful, but watch verse 5. For this very reason, because God has granted us this life and this godliness and this knowledge, because of this, verse 5, for this very reason, do what? Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, or some translations say goodness, and virtue with knowledge. And he goes on to add these virtues and these disciplines that we're supposed to add to our life in light of God's work in us, in light of his grace. We don't work for it, but we work it out. We don't earn it, but we do put in effort. We don't sit back, but we do step up. I think the best illustration of this and the cooperation that we have with God's work in our lives, the best illustration that I've ever heard of this is stolen from an author and pastor named John Ortberg. And John Ortberg talks as kind of a a picture of this process. He gives a a picture of three different types of boats. Three different types of boats as we talk about uh, becoming like Jesus. You can think about a raft, a rowboat, and a sailboat. What's the proper picture of our trusting God and our working with God to become like Jesus? Well, three different word pictures. The first one being the raft. What happens when you raft? I mean, you kick back, right? You're on the river. You sit back. You've got your feet propped up, and you're just letting the water take you, right? There's no effort. It's just the lazy river, and you're out on this raft, and you're just relaxing. This is kind of the let go and let God mentality, Kick your feet up, and there's a right place to say let go and let God. But the raft idea of Christian growth is just, hey, let the river take you, and it's completely passive. You are completely passive, and the river is moving you, okay? That's one faulty way of looking at our life of growth with Jesus, okay? The raft, completely passive. But there's another word picture that Wartburg gives us, and that's the word picture of the rowboat, So what kind of picture do you have with a rowboat? You have a guy relentlessly rowing, right? In the the rowboat, you are doing all the work. You're trying to get to the other side of the lake. And if you're going to get there, it's basically all up to you. In the raft, it's all passivity. In the rowboat, it's all activity. It's up to you. 
And neither of those word pictures are a good way to think about your life with Christ and growing in Christ. It's not just sit back, God will do it, God will take care of it, and I just kind of sit here passive. But neither is it all up to you to row that boat. So the best picture that Wartburg gives us is the idea of a sailboat. And I'm not a nautical expert, but in a sailboat, you have things to do, right? You, you raise the sail, but, and you might uh, position yourself to catch the wind. But ultimately, excuse me, ultimately, you are dependent upon something, aren't you? You're dependent upon the wind. And no wind, you ain't going anywhere. Right, Tommy boy? Some of you don't know that movie, but uh, you're out on a sailboat. You're dependent upon the wind, even though you have responsibility, Right? That's the way it is. That's the best picture. It may not be a perfect explanation, but as we walk with Christ, we have to raise a sail. We have to do things. I like to call it active dependence. We're active, but we're dependent upon the Spirit. We're dependent upon the wind. We're dependent upon something else to empower us. I wrote down here in my notes, if you do it by yourself, you'll grow weary. But if you do nothing, you'll grow weak. If you do it by yourself, you will grow weary. But if you just sit back, you'll grow weak. You'll atrophy. You won't get anywhere. And that, I think, is the personal challenge for us this morning, is that God is saying through the Apostle Paul here, wake up and work out. Wake up and work out. We need to participate in something. We have responsibility in this. Not total control, but we have responsibility. And this, I think, is the message that I've needed to hear this week and this month, and I think it's the message that many of us here this morning need to hear. Wake up and work out. About a month ago, I went and saw the doctor, and, and uh, the doctor wisely uh, advised me not to work out, uh, not to exercise, not to work out for the next seven days. And being a compliant, good patient that I was, I thought, well, you know, if seven days is good, then 28 days is probably even better. <laughs> so it's been about a month since I've worked out. And let me just confess to you this morning, okay, as your, your pastor here, uh, that costs me. And it doesn't just cost me on the scale, but it costs me emotionally. It costs me spiritually because I'm more tired, because I can't concentrate as well. I can't, I don't have the emotional, the, the emotional energy to deal with some of the things I need to, to deal with. Yesterday, I just celebrated, I'm, I'm now on the flip side of 40. I'm on the downward coast, the other side of 40. Some of you are laughing. Ha <laughs> ha. But you know, when you're, when you're on the other side of 40, working out for me is not the joy that it was that when I was in college. And I, I don't see the results and it's, it's no fun. There's not as much joy in it. It's purely discipline and, and, and maintenance and it's this old physical law that things tend to atrophy. Uh, in science, it's called the law of entropy or the second law of therm thermodynamics, that, that, that things don't naturally gain energy. 
They don't, they don't move to order and organization. They move to chaos and apathy and, and destruction, right? It moves not toward the good, but on the backside of 40, it moves towards the worst, and, and it has a cost. And that's what Paul is saying here. Wake up and work out, not just work out physically. That's important to me for my, for my body, but work out spiritually, Get active, get intentional, get purposeful. Don't just sit on your duff. I met uh, with a new, I began talking to a new financial advisor this week as well. Um, Did you know that if you uh, just kind of sit back and go through your career and don't intentionally, purposely plan for any retirement, there will not be a retirement waiting for you? Do you realize that? Am Am I scaring some of you? Wake up and work out. You, if financially you have to purpose yourself, you have to discipline yourself. The kids will, might get a scholarship, but you have to prepare. You have to get things in order. Most of us naturally won't just be savers, you know? Most of us will be spenders naturally. Financial, our financial life is a victim to entropy as well. It goes without direction, without intentionality, goes to cast. Most of us won't be generous without intention, without purpose, without commitment. It's not only true in our marriage, but it's true in, in, other, in other parts of life, right? My, my lawn, I don't have to do anything for the weeds to grow up. They just naturally come. But I, not me, my wife, with, for the plants, for the flowers, it takes intentionality. It, it takes effort. Some of you are going to go play golf today. And uh, if you haven't played golf in the last five years, don't go out there and expect to shoot what you did five years ago. It's probably not going to happen because it's a frustrating story. It takes intentionality. It takes work. It takes effort. The same thing in our relationships, folks. Our marriage will not move towards health, will not move towards unity apart from purpose and attentionality and effort. Our friendships will not move towards health, will not move towards greater intimacy and depth without intentionality, without effort, without time. We have got to put in the effort. We've got to wake up and work out. We've got to find out what moves us spiritually and be committed to those disciplines, to be committed to those key ingredients that help us to center our lives on Jesus Christ. That's our mission statement as a church, right? Our mission is centering lives on Jesus Christ. We want our life to be focused around Jesus. So we have to say, what are the things? What are the key ingredients? What are the habits that I have to build into my life that will help me center my life on Jesus and be affectionately passionate toward him and not lose my zeal for him? What are those things? A couple years ago, I tried to identify those in in my own life personally to to keep my zeal and to not be lazy and to not slide southward. And for me, the personal things in my life were song, scripture, study, and exercise. Song, scripture, study, and exercise. Music has a way of moving my heart that just reading the scriptures doesn't. I I have to, every morning... I have to get up and spend time in God's word. If I don't, my heart feels it. And I'm not just talking about 
my own personal time, I have to have that, but also in, in just the career and the calling that I have on my life, I have to have long seasons, long periods of uninterrupted study and prayer and meditation. Otherwise, my soul shrinks up if I don't have that. If I don't have those elements, I've got to do some activity. I've got to work out. Otherwise, my body plays with my spirit, plays with my emotions. My diet plays into my spiritual life. God God has given us a goodness in queso. Tex-Mex queso. If I could just eat it as my entire diet, I would. But you know what happens when I just hoard queso? I don't feel well. And my emotions just feel like soup or warmed up queso. And my spiritual life drags. What are the ingredients that you have to have in your life to encourage a life centered and passionate on Jesus? And if you let those habits, if you let those ingredients die down in your life, your spiritual life will go southward. You will atrophy. You will lose your spiritual zeal. What are those things? And you know it. You know if you are not meeting with your community group, your time with Jesus is is less fruitful. You know you feel it in your spirit. I'm just not where I want to be with the Lord. You know that if you skip, some of you know that, man, if I go three weeks without being at church, I feel it. My passion is gone. If I don't meet with people regularly to encourage me, I start moving southward. What are the key ingredients for you? What are the non-negotiables? What are the habits that you have to have? Some of you are convicted right now. You're, you're under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I need to step up. It's time to wake up and it's time to work out. Some of you are sitting here thinking, you know what? I'm doing pretty good. I kind of have my Bible study. I'm, I feel like I'm doing pretty good. And folks, if that is your attitude right here this morning, this message is for you that think you're okay that think you're doing pretty good. Wake up and work out. Paul is saying, you guys are doing good, but watch out. Do even better. Look, as he, as he addresses them in verse 12, he's not slapping them on the wrist because they've been way off track and they're way out in left field. He's saying, you're good. Therefore, my beloved brother, brothers, as you have always obeyed, so now in my presence. He's saying, you've always obeyed. You love God. You want to serve God. You're obeying, but don't get off the path. Don't let lethargy and apathy sink in. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He sells, Paul says elsewhere, he who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. If you think you're okay, you're in the most dangerous situation you've ever been in. He who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. And let me tell you, folks, Satan is at work He is working among our body. He is working on me. He is working on all of us, trying to make us apathetic, trying to take away our zeal and passion, trying to keep us out of this book, trying to keep us out of his house to encourage one another and to gather with one another and be encouraged. And folks, we all have targets on our chest. There's an enemy and he wants to deplete us. He wants to render us neutral. 
to walk around in a spiritual battlefield unprotected and unalert. He wants to destroy us. And what Paul is saying here is wake up and work out. Each of us is just one small, stupid step away from disaster. One foolish decision away from wrecking our families. One business trip, unaccountable, in secret, where no one sees you to destroy yourself. To hide through life with a struggle that you don't want to share with anyone else, that you're too embarrassed to talk about. And if you don't bring it to the light, God, you will be destroyed. Part of the grace of God is him giving us a community of faith to say, I am a fellow struggler, and this is going to get me if I don't bring it to light and have someone walk along with me. He's out. Peter describes the evil one as a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And he wants me to shrug my shoulders and say, eh, and he wants you to say, it'll be okay. I can skip a couple weeks. You can't. It doesn't matter if I'm serving the Lord. I can take a break. You can't. It is a battle. Get your armor up. Get your defenses up. Use the sword of the Spirit. He wants to destroy us. And I'm afraid that in the culture of we live in as Collin County and affluence and busyness and apathy and just keeping up with the Joneses and all the stuff that we have going on. He can lull us into apathy. He can lull us into lethargy. And we're caught on our heels and disaster awaits. What are the habits? What are the ingredients you need to ruthlessly bring into your life to commit to and guard and protect so that your spiritual zeal, so that your fire for Jesus will remain ablaze. Here's your homework. I want you to identify those things. I told you my four. I want you to identify those things. I want you to commit to those things. And I want you to invite others into accountability on those things. Say, so, man, I, I don't want to read the Bible. I need accountability. I can, I, can, I, can, I can listen to it on the way to work, but I struggle. I, sports radio has a greater pull on me. Please help me. I'm tempted in this area. Help me. I don't know how to pray. Would you show me how you pray? Would you keep me accountable before I uh, get up and go into the office to sit in my car and to listen to a song and to say some prayers and to center my heart before I go to work? Invite someone in on that with you. Identify those things. Commit to those things and invite others to walk with you, folks. Otherwise, we spiral downward. We have to be vigilant. We have to be diligent.
And not only, I think, is this passage, not only is this passage a personal challenge, but it's also an encouragement. It's also an incredible encouragement to us. Why? Because you're here. If you're listening to this and the Holy Spirit is in any way convicting you, okay, that is proof that God is working in your heart. That he's working on you, and that's actually the promise of verse 13. Look what he says. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The encouragement is that as you're working, God is working in you. You're not a robo. You're not on your own, but as you are under the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, even now, as you identify disciplines and ingredients to put in your life, the Holy Spirit is working with you to help you grow in Christ as, long, as, as well as the body of Christ, your church, your community group around you, I hope. We can't let off, but the, encourage, the challenge is also an encouragement. As you work out your salvation, as you work it into your life, God is working in you. You are here this morning because God sovereignly wanted you to hear this message, I believe. He's working on you. He's saying, don't let off the gas. Don't look backward. Keep your eyes focused. And that ought to be an encouragement. As we're working it out, he's working it in. Second encouragement is this, is Paul, he, he writes this letter so affectionately. These are not people that are straying deeply. These are people that he loves deeply, that he wants to keep on keeping on. And so the second encouragement he gives there is, look at the very, verse begin, the very part of verse 12. He says, therefore, my beloved. Man, he's not slapping them across the face. He's giving them a friendly pastoral kick in the pants. I love you. You're my beloved. You're always obeying. Do so more. Don't let off. So let me encourage you this morning as your pastor to say, beloved, I love you. But life is hard. And there are challenges. And you are facing difficult things. But do not let up. Do not give in. Do not give the enemy a foothold. Will you pray with me? As we bow our heads this morning, I just want to give you a moment silently to do business with the Lord. Maybe you need to confess. Maybe you need to commit right now that I've got to talk to someone. I am on the precipice of disaster. I am making stupid choices. And I am headed for a cliff if I do not ask the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ to come alongside me and help. And I just want to pray for you right now that the Holy Spirit would empower you to do a courageous thing if you are about to go down a path or you have been on a path of disaster. I want to encourage you this morning, I want to encourage you today to take a step to bring healing to your life, to allow God to restore you in the light and let the stuff and the darkness be exposed and beaten. Father God, I pray this morning, oh Lord, 
I pray that we would want what you want. Help us, God, to want what you want. Father, help us in this battle not to slack off, not to take our eyes off the prize, but to use the gifts that you've given us to be focused, to fight the good fight, and to know that you're working in us. Please protect us in a crooked and perverse world. Oh, Lord, we need you. Please strengthen us. Please empower us. It's in the beautiful name of Jesus we pray.